there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Guillaume Balaguet, one of the world's top football journalists and a CBS sports analyst. We've had some great interviews lately, including Jurgen Klopp, Angus McNabb, and Pablo Maurer, along with many others. So check those interviews out. It would be absolutely huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little bit of time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Now, here's my interview with Guillaume Balaguet. Our guest now is my dear friend, Guillaume Balaguet, who is in Lisbon covering the UEFA Champions League for CBS Sports, among other places. Guillaume is one of the world's top football journalists, and he has written books on Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Pep Guardiola, and Mauricio Pochettino, among others. He also has his own YouTube page and hosts the Pure Football podcast that you should check out. Guillaume, thanks so much for joining me. Hello, Grant. Anytime with you, you know. Uh, it's, it, it allows us to remember to remind ourselves of, um, of the time that we were younger, and uh, and uh, at a time that we were, were healthier, no, I think you look very healthy now, so you, we were okay. It's always good to talk to you. Yeah, likewise, my friend. I don't know if you remember this, I think you do, that we actually met back in Lisbon at Euro 2004. We had dinner with Gab Marcotti and Rafi Honigstein at a restaurant that was owned by the actor John Malkovich. Do you remember that, and is that place still there? I don't. I I I remember us meeting. I don't remember the John Malkovich uh, thing. And uh, you just giving me another another excuse to to check another restaurant in Lisbon. By the way, I've got. I, I bet I won't have as much work as I had in the last week. I'm the only Spaniard left here, so it'll be an opportunity to go to those kind of places. But yeah, I miss all of you. Uh, I've already told Gap and uh, and Honigstein, and and I miss everybody uh, who's listening and who would have been in Lisbon. It's not the same. It really is not the same to, um, but for many, many reasons, to uh, to be to a, no- a tournament like this and then being one of the few people that stood up and clapped when Alfonso Davies killed Semedo, <laughs> uh, and and there was there was you know they had pitches. Michael was next to me and um, Alex Scott was next to me and they were they weren't clapping. They had their heads in their their hands in their heads. So I was clapping. Uh, and there was no many more people that could that could actually do that in the stadium. And it really is a strange, really weird situation. No, I can imagine. Though it puts you in a position you could actually go out there and do a chalk outline on the the field where where Nelson Semedo lost his soul in that play. <laughs> um, yeah. Just like there's so much to talk about right now with Champions League. Let's start with with Barcelona. You know, all you have to say at this point is 8-2. We're recording this on Sunday afternoon, your time, coming out Monday morning. What is happening right now inside (laughs) FC Barcelona, and and what do you see happening in the coming days? What's happening is that the president decided to take a couple of days to reflect on the situation. Uh, He already said that some decisions had already been agreed, uh, I imagine uh, that means that the coach is going to be sacked. The coach is going to be sacked. So I don't know if that was decided before or after, but he's going to be sacked. And now they have to put another coach in charge. Now they've worked towards uh, trying to convince Pochettino. 
uh, I think the opposition to the uh, the selection has meant that they look in uh, at other possibilities, and we will see the uh, the board meeting on Monday uh, will confirm some of these things. Uh, maybe not the next manager yet, as the the conversations are taking place. But I think the favourite now is Ronald Koeman. Uh, Koeman, who said no in January when he was asked last time, but since then uh, massive things have happened in his life. He had a heart problem that took him to hospital. Uh, his dad died when he was 75 from a heart attack, so he knew that that runs in the family. And there is a pandemic that has confined us all at home for months and has made us think. So I just wonder if uh, if he's now considering it, um, partly because it's the kind of trend that when he comes for the second time, especially, you, you have to take. His dream has always been to manage Barcelona. And even though he's the manager of uh, Holland, uh, I believe that he's got a, a clause in which he could come out of that contract relatively easily. Uh, so we'll see if they end up convincing him or if they have to go for somebody else. But the main thing is that uh, Bartomeu very cleverly, very, very cleverly, has taken the situation and converted it into a managerial discussion when, when quite clearly what's happening at Barcelona is much much deeper and, 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 you know, it affects many, many more departments than just the managerial department. So for listeners who don't know who Ronald Koeman is, he's currently the manager of the Dutch national team, but he has a long history with Barcelona, won the 1992 European Cup with Barcelona. Um, I thought it was inter- Yes, great free kick taker. Um, the dream team. And... It was interesting. We actually had Ronald Koeman just show up at our soccer bar here in New York to watch Champions League a few months ago. And it was a, a day when Ajax was playing and separately Barcelona was playing. And I was struck that he was watching the Ajax game and doing his job as opposed to watching the Barcelona game. Um, now, when you say opposition to Mauricio Pochettino, what, what's that about? Mauricio Pochettino has always identified himself as an Espanol fan. He was a Espanol captain, Espanol manager, and has been very open about about um, how difficult it would be, if not impossible, to manage Barcelona. And he said he'd rather go to his farm in Argentina and share time with cows than manage Barcelona. Once you said that, you cannot unsay it. <laughs> so, obviously, there is many, many people that are using Pochettino a little bit of a stick to hit Bartomeu with, because Bartomeu has got a lot of opposition. And if he, if the, if the stadiums would have had fans, he would have gone by now, because the pressure would have been immense. But now the pressure can only be applied via social media and uh, and you know web pages and stuff like that. And in you know the opposition, the ones that are going to be candidates to elections, that's another thing that will be mentioned on Monday. That he will probably say something like. Uh, there will be elections as soon as possible, but as soon as possible could be March. Uh, if he left, if he resigned, which nobody expects, it could be October. But if he doesn't, it may mean that there may not be elections until early next year or, or the spring, which um, allows him to stay on. There are reasons for that. Uh, the accounts have not been closed, which means that uh, if the new board, a new board comes in and closes them, and they do it in a way in which they, they direct the debt to the regime that's leaving, that may have personal repercussions on the directors of Barcelona because they will have to pay uh, the debt from their own pocket. So I think Bartomeu will rather uh, sort that out and also sort out a civil, uh, civil court case uh, that Neymar has presented against the club 
because if it goes wrongly, it may also have repercussions into the pockets of the directors, including Bartomeu himself. So I think he needs time to sort all those things out. And the longer he stays, the better. But he talks about uh, feeling responsible for the club and, and giving time to the opposition to prepare themselves to come in. Well, that may be part of it, but the other part is what, what I've been explaining. In any case, the board meeting on Monday will give us more indications, more detail of the next steps that Barcelona are taking. Um, it could even include the sacking of the director of football, Eric Abidal. When there is a crisis at Barcelona, those are the first people to go. But as I say, uh, this is a decay that has been coming for a long time. The 11 that played, the Barcelona played in the Champions League against Bayern Munich is the oldest in the history of the Champions League. The oldest. That included um, Luis Suárez, 33, Messi, 33, Piqué, 33, uh, Arturo Vidal, 32, I think, uh, Jordi Alba, 31. Um, I think that's about it. So just basically players that have, have been at the best some time ago. Six players that played against Bayern Munich played the Champions League final in 2015. Since then, by a minute, by the way, since 15, 16, 17, they, they, they've got rid of some of, in a similar situation, got rid of Lam, Xavi Alonso, Ribery, Robin, and they renewed the squad. Barcelona haven't done that, and they've seen the consequence of it. Their wages of that group is the most expensive in the world, close to 500 million euros a year, and that's about 70% of the budget of the club. So 70% of the, com- the money that comes in goes into the pockets of these players. Nobody has been brave enough or has been brave, brave enough to change that dynamic. And uh, now they find themselves that they have to rushedly, uh, if that's a word, uh, to actually change things. So where is Lionel Messi in all of this? We have yet, as of now, when we're recording this, to hear Messi say anything publicly. And this is a guy who kind of went nuclear against the the board and, and what was happening inside the club at the end of the La Liga season. Um, in, in all of this, you know, what do you think are the chances that Messi isn't with Barcelona next year? No, he will be with Barcelona next year. Uh, he, to actually leave, uh, he would have had to tell the club about May, the end of May with this new contract that he had in which he is the one telling the club what he's doing. And that's it. The club cannot do anything about it. And they had to let him go for free. That's the contract that he had if he had decided to go. But um, he didn't apply that clause. So he's staying for one more year at least. But uh, one week uh, after the negotiations for a new contract for from next summer, Started one week after that, uh, Messi told his dad, let's just wait for another contract. So the situation will be presented next summer. By then, it will be maybe Xavi Hernandez in charge. There will be a new chairman. There will be a new structure. There will be all those things that uh, Messi would like to happen at the club. Um, the opportunity for youngsters, uh, players of quality that allows them to win. I just feel that it's uh, because he's 33 all these changes and the ones that have to be applied uh, cannot be at the pace that he would like uh, because he would like to win the Champions League with Barcelona before before he, you know, he's got to retire or, or move on. But I don't think uh, Barcelona can do it in just one season. So he will have to think if he wants to stay and lead the new Barcelona for a bit, for a year or two, maybe until Qatar World Cup, and then we will see. But he won't talk. It's not the time to talk. 
because he's already spoken. He's spoken many times, as you said. He went nuclear, I like that expression. He actually had said things like in February, like uh, we just don't have enough to win the Champions League or, or to, you know, to, to reach our targets. To which Kike Setien said, oh, no, I think we have. To which Messi replied, I played the Champions League for 10 years. I know what I'm saying. At that point, Kike Setien had not played one single game in charge of, or in charge of any club in the Champions League. So he's been warning uh, Barcelona for a while. He wanted, yes, Neymar to come in. Why? Well, you've seen it now because he's got so much quality. Uh, and I know that Messi told Neymar, come over. This is um, last summer when they were thinking about it. Come over because I'm here for a couple of years and then you, you can take charge. You can be the number one here. So he was completely convinced Neymar to come in. But Barcelona teased everyone, including Neymar, uh, when they knew that they couldn't afford him and they couldn't really get him. That upset, it's upset a lot of players. I'm sure Messi wasn't impressed with that. Uh, and meanwhile, decisions that have been taken to replace Neymar, for instance, Coutinho, Dembele, haven't worked. Uh, Griezmann comes in instead of putting that money into Neymar, which is what the players would have liked and they would have been right there. Uh, hasn't worked. So they are so far back at the moment that uh, to change the dynamic is going to take years. So as, as an aside here, you're close to Mauricio Pochettino. Where do you think he'll coach next? Well, it's not easy uh, to see where that will happen next because he did enough to be considered one of the top managers in, in the world. Uh, I think he is. Uh, and when that happens, when you actually got not, not just me, who I've known him for 15 years and I've seen him coach uh, for a long, long time and I'm completely convinced, but when he has convinced the big clubs, then it's a time to wait for the big clubs to, to sign you. It's just that simply hasn't happened. During the last year and a half, he said no to Madrid. He said no to Barcelona. Uh, he was approached by Juventus. He was approached by Inter. He was approached by Bayern. Uh, he, uh, he was in the shortlist for PSG. And one thing is to be in the list, and another one is actually for that step to make him the manager of one of those teams. And for one reason or another, it hasn't happened. Uh, when he was at Spurs, because he owed himself to Spurs and didn't want... He had to say no to Madrid at that point. Plus, if anybody wanted to negotiate for him, like Bayern thought at some point, uh, Daniel Levy wouldn't have let him go cheaply. And clubs at the moment, they don't pay for managers. Not big, not big money. So he thought, OK, well, maybe when I'm not working, uh, there'll be more opportunities. And then a pandemic happened. And and now, nobody wants to change anything. Barcelona, they, they thought about it. They, they're changing. They thought about it. I, I think, as I say, I think that, that that's passed. But um, nobody else wants to change, either because they were successful or because it's too expensive to do so or, or because in a moment of uncertainty, like the one we're leaving, it's better to stick with what you know. I thought that Tuchel, if, uh, well, I know that Tuchel would have left if um, Borussia Dortmund had been knocked out. Now, I, f I think he probably finds himself getting to the final. And then who knows? Maybe he leaves still because he thinks, look, I'm not enjoying here. And then an opportunity appears. But, but right now, there's no clear path for, for Pochettino. He's got to be patient. and Maybe not one of his biggest virtue when he's related to his career in a way. His career has been very clever in the way everything has been a step forward. But the next step has to be the big step, I think, to get to it to a club that can win titles and uh, and that he can be there for a long time. And as I say, unless you tell me otherwise and you thought of 
something clever and a club that will suit him. There's nobody available at the moment. Let's talk about Manchester City. Uh, they're out uh, at the quarterfinal stage again of Champions League after being upset by Lyon on Saturday. Uh, we have very high standards for, for Pep Guardiola. That said, he has not won the Champions League now since 2011. Uh, my sense is that like Diego Simeone with Atletico Madrid the other day, Guardiola was a bit too conservative with his lineup from the start against Lyon. What was your sense? Right, well, lineups get chosen no by chance. And this lineup had few things uh, for somebody that analyzed absolutely everything to the millimeter. Uh, there were a series of things that he wanted to control. That's the main thing. That's his main obsession, isn't it? He wanted things uh, happening on the pitch that were under his control. So uh, they, they, he realized that uh, Lyon has got two very physical forwards that defend the centre-backs and they do it aggressively. So he put a third centre-back with the ability to actually build from the back better, easier. Uh, but also realized that Lyon is so compact in the middle that he he thought that it would be a better idea to have the fullbacks as wingbacks uh, attacking the wide areas and create superiority there. That's part of the thinking. Uh, the other part of the thinking is that Lyon is so good in the counter-attack that the ones in the middle defending or midfielders, they have to be good at, uh, at that pressure that stops counter-attacks happening. There was all that, but there was also a massive thing. Manchester City is a team that makes mistakes. Not a team. It's got players that make mistakes that are decisive mistakes. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Laporte twice against Spurs. I'm thinking of the team, how they defended uh, Son in the first leg against Spurs. I'm thinking of Monaco. Uh, so Pep Guardiola was trying to protect against those mistakes. Uh, I guess there is an argument that could be made that is, that is like, you know, if you're going to have mistakes, make sure that you create enough then, become more more offensive. Well, actually, the way he he, he set up still created, uh, there was 18 shots on goal from City for City, for seven of Lyon, only seven. So they always going to create. And the role of the manager is to bring the ball from his own back to the other end. Then is the players their talent that defines those situations, either defensively or offensively. And in the last five moves of the game, there were four massive mistakes from Manchester City and one from the referee. What does a manager, what can a manager do about that? So I'm talking about the referee not seeing uh, Laporte's uh, foot being clipped before the second goal of Lyon. Perhaps an offside situation when a player lets uh, the ball go through his legs. Is he intervening in the game or not? But anyway, just the Laporte clip was enough. But that came from a pass, I can't remember if it was Laporte or Eric Garcia, uh, to an area that he should have never given, uh, tried to pass. It was, it was full of Lyon players. Mistake, massive mistake. Another mistake is with 2-1 to Lyon and seven or eight minutes to go. <sighs> Sterling misses, misses a, such a clear chance. Was that the manager missing it? No, it was a Sterling. And then... Ederson for the third one. Come on, Ederson. You have to hold that ball. You cannot fumble it. So four massive mistakes that took it, took it another way. But you have to ask yourself, I mean, obviously the reaction today, as you can imagine, has been all down to the result. Pep, Pep is a fraud. 
pep this, pep that, pep has failed, pep has been conservative, pep this, pep, 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 pep. But what I'm seeing is a team that um, certainly in the first 20 to 25 minutes didn't play well with that new formation that he, they used. Started playing better with it. It played even better uh, after five minutes of the second half when Fernandinho came off and Mares came on and they went back to 4-3-3. They were superior to Lyon. Lyon had two chances to score three goals, really. Um, so City was superior, but this is a cup competition, something that has been forgotten in, forgotten in the analysis that's been made right now. Uh, it's a cup competition with no second leg. So every mistake, every error gets punished big time. But yes, there's been all the games, and this goes full circle to what I was saying at the beginning, all the big games in which City haven't proven to be one of the top four teams in Europe because they made individual mistakes. Is it down to tactics? Absolutely not. Is it down to the manager? Come on. It's just, it's just mistakes that have punished the side in important games. After all, cup games. I don't think you should judge a lot from a, from a cup competition, but anyway, obviously, uh, I am wrong because City lost. And all of you out there who think differently than me are right. Uh, because you think differently and, uh, you know, City loss, so they, you, know, you cannot defend them. But before we move to looking ahead to the semifinals, I, what do you think Man City needs to do to really have a shot at, at this holy grail of the UEFA Champions League? Because the fact of the matter is they've spent a, a lot of money. They've certainly won titles in, in England. Um They've yet to get to a final. Yes, they get to get to a semi-final under, under Pep Guardiola. And uh, to be honest, that is the thing that hasn't worked out yet because the what the club asked Pep Guardiola was to dominate local uh, titles, local competitions, and he's been doing that, mixed with Liverpool in recent times this season, uh, but also to be a top-four team in, in Europe. And, uh, and that hasn't happened yet. So that is the aim, that is the target. Uh, but I insist, um, what else What else can Pep Guardiola do? Uh, uh, you know, he's giving the time so many layers. Uh, he's trying to bring these players that, uh, that, for one reason or another, make these mistakes. So it is, uh, it is a matter of continuing doing what he's doing. There is, you know, you cannot just go and change. And in fact, what has happened, it, it, this game, uh, has kind of magnified against Lyon, has magnified the, the, the situation, but the conclusions are the same that they had. They need another centre-back. Uh, they need a right-footed centre-back. Koulibaly is, is the one they want. Uh, if Eli Garcia goes, they may need to get another young centre-back, perhaps, to develop. Um, they need, perhaps, a centre-midfielder that, uh, that can score goals. And they're looking into that. They wanted a winger because Sané is gone. They got Ferran Torres already. Uh, they did not necessarily won a striker because they scored 102 goals. 102 goals in the league. So creating chances and scoring are not a massive problem. If you're telling me that with having Messi, Cristiano, Lewandowski, you can win the Champions League, uh, then they'll be the first ones going and buying them. But it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee it, does it? Um, so it's just more of the same. More of the same. So let's look ahead to these two semifinals. First off, PSG Leipzig. Interesting matchup here. You got two German coaches. Um, and in PSG, you've got a team that 
in my opinion, has actually so, shown some mental fortitude in this tournament against Dortmund to come back in, in advance and, and to come back late against Atalanta that maybe we haven't always associated with PSG. Yes, but uh, to take conclusions out of a cold game uh, is really difficult, as I was saying earlier, uh, because if they hadn't scored a second goal and then they got penalties and Atalanta go through, what would, what would we say? We'd be talking about, oh, see, they mentally they're not strong. So, yes, what they have is quality. What they have is quality, and uh, quality that it showed when Mbappé came on, um, and, and Neymar showed it throughout the game. That quality was always there. Uh, in a cup game, anything can happen. So um, I don't think the best team is going to win this competition. It's the one who makes the least amount of errors. And to be honest, uh, there was they created enough chances to win the game, and and they deserve to be in the semi-finals. Once here, uh, it's interesting how uh, the two teams reflect two different things. Even though Tuchel must be much closer to how Leipzig plays than how his own team plays in the way he thinks. He's got players of quality that uh, that can turn a game, as we saw. I mean, that pass of Neymar to Mbappé for the for the second goal, that how he just uh, in two touches, one control it and two just cushion it exactly where Mbappé wanted it for him to square it for the winning goal. Um, that will always be there. And to be honest, I, I don't really fully get all this hatred of, of Neymar, uh, who is one of the few players, one of the few players that lifts you up from you see it. It's so wonderful to see what he does. But anyway, um, they've got that. Lesbik on, on the other on the other side, they've got um, modern football. Modern football is it's uh, it's about creating and using big spaces, not small ones anymore. That's what Barcelona used to do, or you know, Bayern used to do on the paper, whatever. It's about creating lo- uh, and taking advantage of those big spaces. Uh, and to do that, you need pace. Uh, you need everybody going the same direction. And you got you need energy, and RB Leipzig have got that absolutely. Uh, in any case, if I'm not mistaken, the second goal of Leipzig that qualified them with about three four minutes to go was a deflection, and in, it wasn't really a reflection of a better Leipzig. But <laughs> it's a cup competition; anything can happen. So um, we will not predict, uh, but I will look forward to see how Neymar uh, and the Neymar moment and the Mbappe moment uh, rates against uh, against the strong team that Leipzig is. I sense some frustration from you, Guillaume, about the, the the single elimination format here. Is this one of those things that, like, this is a very American thing? Because, like, Americans love this stuff. And I, I, I my sense is that Europeans less so. <laughs> well, good, good point. And I think uh, the neutral is enjoying it. European, American, they all enjoying it because it's, it's, um, it's got the phone of a roller coaster. You know, you just think you're going to come out from that rail, but no, and then you go up again. And, and that feeling is what you get to get to get to these games. I, I, I would rather have more games, you know, home and away of Neymar against Atalanta, whatever. Uh, more than away from, from well, maybe not Messi, because after 8-2 in the first leg, it would have been enough. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I would like more of that. Also, I feel that... Um, it goes against a little bit the spirit of the sport, uh, and I know many people won't agree with me. But uh, mistakes, when they, when they, and mistakes and referee mistakes, those two things, when they take over a tie, a game, and they are they are the most important thing. Um, it takes away the fact that yes, mistakes are part of the game, but also how you react to them is part of the game, and you got more chance to do it when you go back and start studying what went wrong and trying to 
to create something to actually overcome that. I prefer that that than than the the accident of a of a welcome format. Um, but it is what it is, and uh, and we have to live with it. Bayern Munich, Lyon. Bayern Munich looks like a machine right now. Uh, yet we've also seen Lyon get past Juventus. We've seen Lyon get past Manchester City. Uh, do, do you think there will be any sort of letdown potentially here from Bayern Munich? Did you watch the game again, the Bayern Munich Barcelona? It was even worse the second time I watched it, I thought. Well, I, I'm worse saying that because the, the ones, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. I disagree with you. The first 20 minutes, okay. um, Bayern Munich were poor. Uh, their their high defense wasn't working fully, and uh, Messi hit the post. Uh, they scored as well, of course, Barcelona. And it was after the second goal of Bayern that everything crumbled down. And to be honest, if they they were very clever and very astute and uh, and, and and very logical decision by Bayern to insist on that pressure because their energy was always going to eat Barcelona alive. Even though in the first 20 minutes, 22 minutes, there were doubts. So if you, if whoever watches the game again, they may be surprised about the first 20, 25 minutes. Which, what I mean by that is that they're, they're, it was the right decision to play Barcelona that way, but they showed some weaknesses as well. And uh, and you know, uh, Lyon won't uh, allow so much space in behind. Uh, Lyon won't complicate themselves so much. And the initiative will be Bayern's, and Lyon will counterattack. And and Lyon have got a in a can be so much pace up front. Uh, let, let's see if Dembélé starts on the bench again for the third time after Juventus too. But he came on and scored twice, so you know he's he's, he's quality there too. Awar was fantastic in midfield when they wanted they needed to keep the ball. They did that a few times very well until the energy allowed them to do so. So there is in their own way, and they won't change one single inch. They've got a few things that could unsettle Bayern Munich. Uh, and especially, you've seen them many times after a huge victory. Um, I don't know what it is in mentally. You just perhaps relax a little bit and go into the next game not wanting to, but feeling that you know, you you are you, you. If you do the same things, you'll be you'll be fine. You'll be you'll be enough. And doesn't always work like that in football. So we will have to see. It's, it's, I think it's going to be much more equal than than people expect. And Lyon will have the chances. I do think the the very high back line from Bayern Munich against Barcelona is something that a lot of speed could expose. Obviously, and, and Lyon at least has that potential on the counter. I just feel like Bayern is so overpowering right now and that Flick just has gotten things together since coming in. And, and I'm stunned that Tom, Thomas Mueller at one point earlier in the season under Kovac was sort of surplus to what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they've, they've got the best Muller at 30. You know, they really are doing the last dance with, with well, it's not even last dance. I think they can go on for a long while, both Lewandowski in his 30s and Muller as well. Um, but they they've been so clever in in how they've re- renovated the side that they they've got quality throughout the the, the team now. I mean, Goresco was fantastic in the middle. Uh, Thiago was as well. Alfonso Davies. I mean, uh, what he did was was just memorable. Um, so you know, Kimmich even as right back is still influential. Alaba has got so much pace. So then you can put that defensive uh, defensive like how high up what time was the weak point in the back in the back four I felt uh, but yes yes they've got a lot to go for but uh, Leon manages to do for things for not many things to happen during a game 
And if that's the case, not many things happen during the game, yes, they'll have the chance. I know from Lyon, they were saying that for, for them to knock out sitting that, uh, out, they'll need a, a, you know, a, a combination of things, a bit of a referee help, a bit of luck, a bit of sitting or being at the best, a bit of uh, you know, crazy tactics from Pep that, that helped them, and, uh, and then just be very efficient. And all that happened for Lyon. Now, can all that happen again for Lyon? Well, uh, as I said, the kind of cup, cup competition that we're seeing at the moment, anything is possible. So let's wrap up here. Uh, people should know if they don't, because you've had some marvelous books over the years, uh, you're doing another one. Uh, and it has to do with Diego Maradona. I've seen you post some on social media. Uh, what's it about? How are, you, how are you doing this? Well, I realized that... Um, in Spanish, there is at least 36 books on Maradona, 36. But in English, uh, not so many. In fact, there's two of his books uh, that were translated, and that's about it. Um, so, uh, because I'm, I'm, I think this is my eighth book, uh, so I'm, I'm, I have to entertain myself as well as the audience, and I'm varying more and more towards literature, literature meaning playing with the styles, uh, uh, just trying to bring forward uh, characters uh, in a more literary way than just a typical biography. So what I'm going to do is about 45 small episodes of the, the, the story of Maradona and the people close to Maradona, all of course real, um, but that will be taking sometimes a literary twist. So it'll be stories that will can, can be read on their own that tell you the story of Maradona. If you want to do it chronologically, that's fine. But if you want to do it like, you know, Cortázar and Rayuela uh, and jump from episode one to episode 20, it still makes sense. So I think I'm going to have a lot of fun trying to put that together. And uh, I've already started and I've got until December, but I will, after the Champions League, that will be my holidays, just five weeks of... Um, of writing, mixing writing with going to the going to the beach. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Guillaume Balaguer is working for CBS Sports, among other places, right now doing Champions League. He also has his own YouTube page, hosts the Pure Football Podcast. Guillaume, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Grant. Anytime. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. That helps people find us. I'd like to thank Guillaume Balaguer as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I also want to thank Taylor Rockwell and Daryl Grove of The Total Soccer Show, our partner, for everything they've done to help get this show off the ground. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.